Good morning. I want to speak with you this morning uh, from the subject, someone or something in common. We'll be taking a look at the Genesis 25 uh, scripture in this week's lectionary with a particular focus on verses 21 and 28, and it's my plan to tie the other scripture lessons together as we move along. Amen? So I am an empty nester, praise God. (laughs) But I did raise four children, and um, John and I, John is here, we both have four children. We are a blended uh, family. But as I was raising my four children, not one of them were the same as they were growing up. Their interests, their dislikes, even the things they played with were very different. Tamika, who was my oldest daughter, liked to take dolls apart rather than play with them and put them back together. She played with erector sex and Legos and electric or electronic gizmos. My youngest daughter, Jasmine, liked to collect dolls and fix their hair, and she liked to write. Marcus liked anything related to drawing or painting, and Quentin liked to collect model cars and to dress up as different characters often. Every one of them was and is different. And I should also tell you that my sons, Marcus and Quentin, are fraternal twins, and they certainly look like brothers and act like brothers, but they're very different uh, as night as day. One has a very keen sense of smell. The other rarely even notices smells, including his shoes. One hates to eat vegetables, the other loves them. One likes football, the other basketball. One will sit and not eat until he's waited on, and the other will cook and can actually cook from scratch. And though all my children are different, though every one of them has their own strengths and their weaknesses, what they each have in common is their parents. They came from us, so they have the same characteristics as we do, some of the same traits as us. So no matter how different they are, they're still brothers and sisters, siblings, and our children, whether they like it or not. Today's passage deals with another family and another set of fraternal twins, Esau and Jacob. But since the thread in each passage in the lectionary this week has to do with the certainty of God's word coming to pass, I'm going to focus on the mother, Rebecca, who God spoke to directly. But we have to go back to the previous chapter in Genesis to make sure we understand who Rebecca is. Now, it's important to note that right before she marries her husband, Isaac, Rebecca was young, and she was a virgin girl. Abraham wanted a wife for his son, Isaac, who was from his own country and not from Canaan, where he lived. So he sent his servant to find this wife, and the servant prayed that the one who gave him water to drink and also gave water to the camels would be the one. So here comes Rebecca. She offers him water and his camel's water, so he knows this is the one. 
And he gives her a gold nose ring and two huge gold bracelets as sort of a down payment because it was custom to pay for your bride. Abraham's servant asked to stay at their house. Rebecca invites him over and then runs ahead and tells her mother and brother Laban all that has happened. When Abraham's servant gets there, he tells Laban and her mother everything that's happened. How he was sent, how he prayed for this son, how Rebecca confirmed that prayer, and their immediate response was, since this is from the Lord, we can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca, take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. Just like that. Because it was very normative at that time for women to be treated as property. And at this point, they don't even ask Rebecca what she thought about it, if she wanted to marry, if she wanted to go. Then Abraham's servant gives her more gifts of gold and silver and clothing. He gives expensive gifts to her mother and brother, and they seal the deal. Rebecca will be married to Isaac. It is not until the next day when they realized the servant wanted to return immediately with Rebecca rather than wait their customary waiting time. And it was then that they asked Rebecca, will you go with this man? And at that point, I don't believe Rebecca felt she had much choice. She was a mere girl. Abraham's servant had paid a dowry for her. Her brother and mother had already approved of the marriage, and Isaac was a rich heir to Abraham, who was the father of their entire tribe. So, of course, she responded, I will go. So Rebecca, this young virgin girl, is taken to Isaac's tent, who was then 40 years old, and they get married. So now when we look at this passage in Genesis 25, it is about 20 years later. And again, choices are being made for Rebecca. Verse 21 says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer and Rebecca became pregnant. Now, because of the stories that we have read about barren women or women who can't have children throughout the Bible, like Hannah or Elizabeth, we assume that Rebecca is the same. But Hannah and Elizabeth wanted to have children, and they fervently prayed for a child. But if you look closely at this passage, Rebecca never asked to become pregnant. She does not ask for a child. It is Isaac who asked for her to get pregnant, not Rebecca. And then when she learns that she's pregnant, there is no response. There's no rejoicing like Elizabeth, no prayer of praise like Hannah nothing. It is not until after she begins to have pain because the babies are jostling or wrestling and fighting inside of her that we see Rebecca going to the Lord and she's not happy. Why is this happening to me? What is going on? Why me? And it's as if she's ready to die. But it's then that God tells her, there are two nations in your womb, two people from within you who will be separated. 
One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Rebecca is having twins. They will separate, and the younger will rule the older one. So when the babies are born, Esau, which means hairy, is very hairy and was red. He comes out first. And as they're pulling him out, the younger brother, Jacob, is holding on to his heel. And so they name him Jacob, which means heel grabber and also means supplanting, which means to take the place of another. Now, whether we admit it or not, we tend to favor those around us who like the things that we like. Amen? Birds of a feather do flock together. And we're drawn to those who are similar to us. And so Isaac and Rebecca was toward their sons. But it was extreme and it was destructive to their family. Because later as they become older, Esau becomes the outdoor types, like his father, likes to hunt. And the scripture says he is loved by his father Isaac, who loves to eat wild game. On the other hand, Jacob is different and is described as a quiet man staying among the tents. So he was a homebody and as my sister says, a mama's boy. And he's the son that God declared would rule over his brother before he was even born. So he was favored by his mother, Rebecca. And since he's the one around the tent or house, if you will, and always around his mother, who in that time period in that culture were essentially housewives, he learned to cook. Now, my son Marcus loves to experiment in the kitchen, but when he cooked anything, he did it for himself and his own pleasure. He didn't want to share his food with anyone else, and he may offer me some food, but his brothers and sisters forget it. So if they would ask him for some, his response usually was, what are you going to give me? That's Jacob. His brother Esau comes in from hunting one day, and he's hangry. Now, hangry is a colloquialism, which means extremely hungry. So hungry that he claims he's going to die, exaggerating his hunger. So Jacob says, okay, I'll give you some of this red stew if you sell me your birthright. Please, that birthright doesn't mean anything to me. So Esau thought, you can have it. And so he gave it up. Very hastily, he gave it up. Because as the firstborn, that gave him rights to his father's inheritance. And as the firstborn, he was next in line of authority. But he's also trying to eat. So he gives it up for a meal. Now we learn later in uh, the chapters later on that when Isaac became weak and old and was losing his sight, Rebekah knew that he would lay hands on Esau and pronounce God's blessing on him, which was a really big deal. But instead of listening to what God told her when she was pregnant, that the older Esau would serve the younger Jacob, instead of seeing the sign when Jacob was born holding onto Esau's heel and whose very name, name meant to take the place of, she still tried to do it her own way. And in spite of what God told her and in spite of what God showed her. So she convinces Jacob to pretend to be Esau. 
So covered his hands and his neck with goat skin, cooked him some wild meat, just like he liked it, and tricked Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing instead. Then just after Jacob left, Esau comes in from hunting and discovers what Jacob has done. Jacob goes on the run with the help of Rebekah, and Esau pursues him to kill him. Now, both of these brothers were extremely different. They went their separate ways because of the betrayal, the anger, and the distrust. They married many women, which Rebecca also meddled in. They acquired great wealth, had many children, but no matter how angry Esau was with Jacob, no matter what was done between them, what they had in common was that they were still brothers. And over time, eventually God convicted Jacob about what he had done, and he made up with Esau. And Esau forgave him, and they moved on because they shared in common their brotherhood, which outweighed any differences that they had. So just a few months ago here in Asheville, the chief of police requested approximately a million dollars for 15 additional police officers to manage the increasing crime in the downtown area. And a million dollars for the people campaign evolved and developed in opposition. Now there were multiple opinions about whether or not this should or should not happen. I heard a wide range of beliefs and ideas and political ideology as I attended Citizens Police Advisory Council and City Council and Stop the Violence and community meetings and met one-to-one -one with folks across the city. And what I discovered was that on one end of the spectrum, you had anarchist types whose stance was F the police, tear down the city without a plan, in fact, to replace it, to another extreme of conservatives who believed the police were adequately protecting and serving the people because they themselves felt safe. And they felt safe with the police. So because they felt safe, everyone else must also feel safe. And so they couldn't understand any rejection of more policing or resistance to city dollars being used as such. And then there was everything in between. And I believe Faith for Justice, of which I'm a part of and organized, was somewhere in the middle, simply wanting community solutions to come from those most affected by policing and violence in their communities. Solutions that built relationships and that worked in collaboration with the police. And I found myself constantly having to remind folks that regardless of how they felt about or experienced the police, the police were in fact a part of the community. And so were the anarchists and the liberals and the progressives and the conservatives and all those who dwell in Asheville, all part of the same community, all breathing the same air. And while folks spent days and weeks arguing about why a particular point of view was right or wrong, they failed to see what they had in common. And really, they could not imagine anything other than what they personally had experienced or what they understood or what they felt. But what everyone really had in common was that they wanted to feel 
and to be safe. And that's a basic human need that all of us need and all of us want for ourselves, for our children, our families. We want to feel safe in our homes, in our neighborhoods. We want to feel safe driving or traveling anywhere in the country and in the world. My husband and I are traveling to the Dominican Republic this Tuesday, and of course, we want to be safe going, and we want to be safe coming back. But when we fail to see or fail to hear others' needs, other experience and others' realities, we miss each other. And we start spiraling down this hole of discontent and discord and dissension and distrust. But once we find common ground, once we figure out how we align rather than how we differ, then together we can make an impact despite our differences. And when folks could finally agree that safety was desired by everyone involved and that safety looked and felt differently for different people, everyone simply wanted to be safe, there was a compromise. So the chief of police asked, um, was distributed within the budget and it was spread out over a period of two and a half years rather than all at once. And a suggestion came from Councilman Keith Young to activate a participatory decision-making process moving forward and to have a commission of non-elected persons who could provide community input to city council. And people who never paid attention woke up and paid attention. And people who never had a voice had a voice for the first time. And the process will continue to ensure that all people in Asheville have safety. Now, as we look inward at the church, contrary to popular belief, those of us who claim to be part of the body of Christ are different too. Surprise. If you just look at us, beyond our obvious identities, we have different backgrounds, we have different values, beliefs, experiences, strengths, weaknesses, likes, dislikes. We're different. And God intentionally created us to be different. And he tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So it was his plan for us to be different. And each of us who are called to salvation are also called for a purpose and called to something unique to do in the kingdom of God. And God customizes. He knows each of us intimately. And so his calling is just for us. He knows everything, every detail about our personality, our likes, our dislikes, all of the above, and he will use all of it for his glory. But though we're all different, we should have one thing in common, and that's a real and personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 says it this way. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Different, but we have something in common. 
Like my boys and like Esau and Jacob, we can be as different as night is from day. But we can't change the fact that we're sisters, brothers, or siblings, whether it's sisters and brothers through our parents or through our relationship with God. But there may be some amongst us this morning who aren't yet part of God's family. And in order to be a part of God's family, we can't be simply born as we are to our parents, but the scripture tells us we have to be born again and born of the Spirit of God. And I know for me, I often considered myself unworthy. I had gotten so far away from God, I couldn't imagine being accepted as his child. I couldn't imagine that I was good enough or I could do the right things. I couldn't read or interpret the Bible he weighed the way that he wanted me to. And I felt like I had just done too much in my life to be forgiven. But what I learn, and as I take a look around at the kingdom of God, and I look at my siblings from many different denominations and many walks of life, that in fact, we all have the need of forgiveness in common, and that we've all strayed, and we all fall short of the glory of God. And what brings us in right relationship to one another is our relationship with Jesus the Christ. And once we have that relationship, regardless of where we come from, when we have Jesus in common, we can all claim God as our Father, and we can cry out, Abba, Father, because we belong to him and his family. Something in common. Esau and Jacob were at odds for a really long time, as some may be in this house and many houses of worship for different reasons, for different conflicts, for betrayal, for distrust, for misunderstandings, for miscommunication. But because of what Jacob did with the help of his mother, because of the, the uh, betrayal and distrust for many years, it created a separation between them. But eventually, Esau did forgive his brother Jacob. And I hope that we can too, that we can forgive one another. And because of that forgiveness, they were restored into right relationship as brothers. Rebecca had a distinct honor of being personally visited by God who imparted his words into her life and the life of her children. But she chose to follow her own path rather than the one God had already set for her and her children. And it caused her and her family unnecessary pain. But still Jacob was served by his brother, just as God said, because God's word is always accomplished. If you will remember the words of the prophet Isaiah declared to King Hezekiah in Isaiah 55, God's word will not return to him empty or void. So it will accomplish what he intended it to accomplish, either with or without us. And whether we are like the listener in the Gospel of Matthew, which we've heard, who hears the word but are too hard-hearted to understand it, so it's snatched away and falls on hard soil by the wayside, God's word will still be accomplished. Or you may be one who gets caught up with the crowd and you get excited about hearing God's word and how it makes you feel good and blessed, but because you're on rocky ground and have no root, as soon as trouble comes, the joy quickly goes away, and you're right back where you started from. But God's word will be accomplished. 
Or maybe you're the one who gets so caught up in worldly possessions that you can't digest the word of God. And while you're getting a return on your financial investment, you aren't investing anything in the kingdom of God. So you're not feeling and you're not experiencing any return spiritually. So you find yourself frustrated and unfulfilled and out of touch with the abundant life that Jesus tells us that we can have. But you need to know God's word will still be accomplished. And for those of us who hear the word of God, understand it, bear fruit, who have Jesus in common as our savior, who are trusting Jesus, reflecting Jesus in the way that we treat others, the way we hear others and empathize with others and unconditionally love one another despite our differences in race and gender, orientation, social, economic class, political ideology, or otherwise. If our relationship with Jesus is what we have in common, surely we can figure out how to be in right relationship with each other. God's word will still be accomplished. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost. Amen.